Bell. Today I've got Chris Hansen, professional golfer. Chris, how are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Great to be on the show. Thank you for coming on. Um, so you obviously used to play on the on the European tour. Um, so I just want to kind of start first of all before we get into kind of that and just start with the start of your career and how you got into golf, what age you started playing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I think um, I, was, I was pretty fortunate, really. I was in a, in a mass, massive golf, not a massive family, but a family were very, very keen. Uh, mum and dad played. Dad was a scratch golfer. Mum was sort of 12 handicap at her best. So obviously she could play as well. Um, sort of at the age of three, they were obviously at the golf club a lot. And yeah. it just kind of naturally I ended up being a member at the golf club at a very young age. Um, I had two two half brothers, I've got three half brothers now, but two who were, who were very keen golfers as well up there. And um, yeah, it just, it just naturally developed from there, really. I think, I think I played football as well till the age of sort of 13, really wanted to play football as, a, as, a, as I grew up. But I think it became clear that Sunday medals, junior golf and Sunday league football, um, it was, ended up being a bit of a natural choice to make and, and went down the golf route. Right. Okay. So, what sort of handicap did you get to at the start? Then, like, did you make a lot of progression pretty quickly, or or was it a, was it a grind? Yeah, not really, mate. No, I think how I, I think I was off thirteen when I was thirteen. That, that's 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 what I kind of remember. Um, I'm pretty sure it was that. I was at twelve at twelve. Thirteen at thirteen, I think something like that rings a bell. And I was I was never really great. I just had a, there was a good group of lads at the golf club. We we're all a similar age, all kind of similar ability. I just loved it. You know, we, we played together summer holidays every day, like a lot of guys did. And um, and yeah, I, I, I had a pretty, well, I didn't have any sparkling amateur career. And I think at 16 years old, I was three mm. handicap. Like, it's not right, okay. particularly My nephew's off plus one at 16 now. It's you know, the handicap system's a little bit different. But yeah, I was yeah. certainly, certainly no, um, no superstars and amateur. But you turned pro in 06, wasn't it? When you turned pro. Yeah. So how did you kind of get to the, the pro tour in the end? Did you play on amateur tournaments a lot or what was your kind of route? I know you, again, you played on the European tour, you played on challenge tour, your four wins came on the Euro pro tour, was it? Um, yeah. So what, before all of that, what was kind of your route? Was it just playing in local amateur tournaments and making your way up or how'd you get how'd Yeah. You at 16, I went to a college called Myersco, um over in Preston. So I was three handicap at 16. Um, I think from a young age going there, I, I kind of had my heart set on, on being a golfer then. There was nothing else really what interested me. Um, but I think at 18, I was on scratch. So I was, I was playing for the county. I was playing for Yorkshire. Um, but not like you say, a scratch golfer at 18 is not particularly... He's, he's great really. I didn't really I think I played a couple of English amateurs but lost in the first round um, my only real highlight I can remember was I, I lost in the semi-finals of the British boys um, and I got in there as a first reserve so I was <laughs> I was kind of bottom of the pecking order there and um, I think I, I knew I was going to turn pro I did four years at Myersco so till I was 20 um, I was fortunate I had I had met somebody through the Huddersfield area who was going to give me a little bit of sponsorship money to play. Uh, I was on scratch at the time, and I think I'd already made my mind up how I was going to turn pro. So I think once I'd done that and I decided and I'd got a little bit of cash, I don't know whether that freed me up. I don't know. I'd The rest of the summer, then I had three months, and I got down to plus three, set two or three course records in the area, won some 
decent local events and um and that was it really turn pro at 20 yeah right and you you mentioned there obviously the sponsorship that kind of helped you out with then when you were a little bit young i mean I mean, what, what could you do at that kind of age? Obviously, it's really difficult to to get yourself like a coach and all that kind of thing. So what sort of team did you have at that point, if any, or was it just kind of your family supporting you and you practising? Or Yeah, I guess I always had a coach um, who I'd sort of grown up with, so we, we kept on working together. Um, I actually had a psychology guy who I'd worked with at, at college university, one of the teachers who just taught that as a subject, and we kind of we just kind of carried that on on a sort of personal level or professional level uh, once I turned pro. I'd always touched on a little bit of gym stuff and just through various people I'd, I'd met over the years and sort of through county teams and things. So I did have kind of a, a structure around me, really. And I think from the college I went to, there was a good system in place there with the coaches. And I kind of treated it probably as a job at an early age, really. Um, I was always pretty good at structuring structuring my practice so yeah turning pro I, I kind of felt like I was I was not that I was any good but I was trying to do it like as an average amateur before that really yeah I mean it must be pretty difficult at that age as well with all the studies going on and obviously trying to get to events and all the cost of it and the traveling and stuff like that so I mean were you just pretty fortunate to kind of like have enough money to be able to do that or were you working part-time as well like what was the situation with that we getting around all the country playing in all these tournaments yeah I was I was pretty lucky, really. I was not coming from a, um, a background with money at all, but I was I was always quite proactive at trying to gain sponsorship and attract sponsorship. And not that you could offer a lot back at that stage in your career, other than other than time, really. But hmm. um, I had a few small sponsors um, at the golf club I was at. We did a golf day to raise some money. I did like a share scheme to to raise money where we offered back a percentage, which I say majority of people probably never expected anything back but it was a way of kind of everyone being able to to financially sort of support me at whatever level they were at as well so so that worked nicely so it got me up and running that first year I had a little bit of university grant money what I'd saved um from the sports side of it and and yeah I had a really good first year good man and um obviously they played on the the Europe Pro as, as we mentioned in the challenge tour what was that kind of move like for you going from playing in the amateur events to then turning pro and going and playing on these tours yeah I think I reckon I was probably very naive really that first year um like I said I had no experience really of, of traveling too much playing amateur stuff like a few events but not particularly outside of outside of the county really sorry about, um, sorry. Um, sorry kids <laughs> um <laughs> and um so yeah I was a bit naive really to probably the standard of it um into some of the players who were who were playing um and i played a few little mini tour things in the lead up to sort of the euro pro qualifying uh, i got through the first stage which is no not particularly a high standard the first stage to get through but then second stage i actually i actually missed the cut by by a shot i think i might have been two or three over or something i kind of felt then it was probably like that was kind of it i was i was done like i didn't appreciate or know how the system worked mm -hmm. um but I actually was I think first or second reserve for the first event down in Norwich. I ended up getting in as a reserve. Um and I was I was keen, I was I was young, I was like say I off I went, travelled down to Norwich, four hour, five hour drive, ended up making the cut by one and then shot I think six under on my back nine in the last round to end up nice. leading leading the tournament. I think That's I was nice. come off the course like first out, 
top six on the back nine, leading the tournament. Ten grand is on, on up first prize. He filmed a few shots. Bring my wife, and I'm like, I'm leading the, my girlfriend, I'm like, leading the tournament. Like, just I ended up finishing third, um, which kind of re ranked me in my category from sort of not being able to play all the events to then being able to play everything. So you kind of made the season within the first week, really. Right, and, and what sort of difference did you did you notice in terms of the actual game itself? Because like, I've spoken to people that have gone to say the European Tour before or the PGA from these kind of tours to try and make it, and the I mean the main answers that tends to be obviously just the the difference in quality, which is pretty obvious. But then they also talk about normally the short game is just so much better at that kind of level. Was it was that the kind of same for you going from amateur to these tours, or was it a different part of the game? Yeah, I don't know really. It's just it's just a lot of good players out there. Like the, the depth is obviously quite strong, but like now this is this is 15 years ago. Like the depth mm. now is is crazy. Like I used to always kind of explain back when I played Europe and back in the 2006, it kind of felt like there was always say the field was 150 players. I always used to kind of think there's probably 50 players who probably shouldn't really be playing in that mm-hmm. field. Then there's 50 players who are probably trying to make the cut. And then there's 50 players who are competing like towards mm. the top of the leaderboard. Uh, and probably only a handful who probably would really win week to week. But I think now you look at Europro and like, I think I was looking at the cut again is going to be three, four and par or something. Like mm-hmm. standard now is, is probably, there's probably 20 guys who shouldn't be playing and there's probably 130 guys competing to, to do well. It's, it, the depth... I think every year there's probably, I say this a lot now, there's probably 100 more players turn pro every year and there's less places to play. So the depth mm-hmm. is just increasing all the time. So I think the biggest difference I found from being amateur to pro, um, I don't know really. I don't know. I think the biggest thing I've found over the years with the better players is that like they just particularly don't waste shots. You know, like mm-hmm. you get a lot of young, naive people who, Guns blazing, and that comes off every now and again. But the players who have been out there for years are the ones who are just—they know exactly what they do. Their game—they don't wait, they don't waste shots, and sure, uh, and they get the most out of the game, really. Yeah, and with those kind of category of players that you talked about, in terms of ones that really should be there or making the cut, etc., are you saying that that's kind of like what's expected of them, or you think that that's their kind of mindset going into the tournament that that they're like, oh well. To be honest, I'd be lucky to make the cut. Is that what you're trying to say, or more that because of their standard, they're only expected to make the cut, or they're not? They, they shouldn't really be there, or they are competing. Yeah, I think. I mean, I ask I that think because again, another thing that people say, like when you go up a level to European Tour or obviously PGA, LPGA, yeah. or whatever it is, people just talk about that kind of mindset of the best players, right? Like separating yeah. brilliant players and the elite is that. Is that mindset yeah. being, being able to play in front of a crowd, being able to play under pressure, etc. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. I would say, like, I think from looking on from an outsider, like looking at the standard back then, there probably was that fifty people who probably shouldn't be spending the money to play because they're mm-hmm. not at that standard yet. And then you're right. There's probably that amount of people as well who, who don't actually feel they're at, the, they're at that standard, um, and like you say, that they can't compete. And I guess. Like they, they're trying to gain the experience and and learn so that they can improve um, their games and that feeling of that they can compete. Um, but yeah, but I think that works up through the whole levels. Like for myself, like you, 
you graduate for Challenge Tour, and like, all of a sudden it feels a bit different. Like for some people it doesn't. Some people naturally progress and they have the confidence to just go off and just keep improving and improving. But that certainly wasn't for me. I, I had to like I spent a lot of time on Europe for six years. Like light bulb moment. A lot of things changed the year. I changed to like progress the Challenge Tour. Um, and like so my confidence went through the roof that year but then on challenge tour it was kind of like I started quite well but then soon got brought down to earth and it was kind of mm. should I be here like I'm a, can I travel the world doing this like there's a lot of good players here and you do question yourself and I think it either comes naturally or you have to work hard at it and find that belief and I think some people probably never will find it because it's bloody hard to get really well yeah and, and give us a little bit of insight in your experience with the, the Euro Pro Tour then, because that's where you had your, your four pro wins. So just give us a little bit of um, an insight, kind of how, how that was to play and, and talk us a little bit about those four wins as well. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good tour. I think um, I mean, it, it obviously promotes winning, it obviously promotes like good scores and, and making birdies, which you, you're going to need as you go through the ranks. Um, I think... From a from a job point of view, it feels quite harsh because it is so top heavy. And but I think if you get your head around the fact that you're not on there to make money, you're on there mm. to progress. Um, I don't think you particularly make money playing golf until you keep your card on the main tour, unless you've got a very very good sponsor. Um, and 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 I mean a good sponsor because it's expensive. Yeah. So, um. But yeah, that, that year, 2011, I'd made some big changes. I'd changed coach that year, the previous previous winter before. Um, and and I just, I think I just, yeah, and I'd got rid of a bad shot in my game, which was holding me back. And um, and and the year sort of spiralled quite nice. I can't think how early I actually won, but yeah, I won three times in that season. Um, and, and won the order of merit by, I think, by about £10,000, which is a lot in Europe for yeah. I mean, which was there any of those particular wins that were kind of the favourite for you? Was it just the first one because it was the first one or was there a particular favourite out of those? The first one was, was nice because it was at a venue where I'd, I'd won the first year in 2006. Um, so I probably felt quite comfortable. Um, but there was no guarantee then that I'd got a challenge to a card. So I think the second <laughs> one, I won in a playoff um, and, and finished the round well and, and birdied the playoff all to win. And that pretty much guaranteed my, my card for the following season was, was probably the win, really. Um, and it was a bit of a decent event at Galgorm Castle where they have main tour now. Um, and it had, it had some spectators and fans and it was it was pretty cool. So that was that was probably the biggest win of the year because it did guarantee that top five spot. Mm-hmm. And then the third win was kind of icing on the cake, really. And, and it was a very relaxed win, really, I guess, because I knew I was already guaranteed to get my card. So the pressure was off, really, then. Yeah, because the first one, the first one came in 06, um, and then the other three in 2011. So three wins there in the same year. I mean, was there something going on that year where you feel them really good at that time, just playing really good golf, or was there anything in particular that, yeah. that helped you to that? Like you say, I think I, I changed coach back in the 2010. Worked really hard that winter. Felt really confident that I'd put a lot of work in. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like any sport really. When you feel you you've got confidence on your side and you. I think I finished top 10 every week apart from maybe one week and I missed the cut. And I think, yeah, I think it snowballs. Like you look at it on at all levels, like you'll see a player and I think on challenge to this year that Santiago's 
um, challenge jokes. Got 110,000 before already, and he's finished top five five times or something on challenge yeah. jokes. Unbelievable goal. And like, what's changed for him? Like, probably not much. He's just got some confidence. And I think, I think if you if you're confident, if you're in a confident vein of sort of golf, you can play anywhere in the world and yeah. do well. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, is it? It's just confidence sometimes is really the only thing you need. Just play some good golf and get yourself on a run. I think the hard the hard thing is, and the hard, like, people have the conversation, like, how do you get confident? And, like, mm. you've got to play well I mean, to be confident. But how do you play well if you're not confident? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you think it is for you personally? Like, is it just hitting a good shot or a couple of few good shots in a row? Or is it a tournament win? Or is it a good finish at a tournament? Well, that's the thing, it's, it's, it's chicken and egg, what comes first. But for, so, so for me, you can't really break that cycle. Because like you got to play well, you need confidence. You have confidence, you've got to play well. But So I used to say to myself, like, I used to get confidence from the fact that I'd worked really hard like in practice. I'd done the hard yards before. So I got the confidence from, I did a lot of performance games, a lot of performance tasks. And I used to, like, beat my own PBs, set PBs, beat scores all the time. So I should be confident because I was doing well in practice. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel that that oozes then through into my actual games on the course in tournaments. And that's where it came from. So I think a yes. lot of people, a lot of people probably don't practice, maybe not hard enough, but like well enough and like make it, make it hard and challenge themselves. So when they come to compete, they've not already had a little taste of, competition in the practice yeah it's a difficult one I mean because for example like a lot of amateurs like myself I mean when I start to hit bad shots whether it's on a range or on a course I can tend to look back at my swing and go it's this that I'm doing or it's that that I'm doing yeah. do, you, do you get that as a pro I mean like if you've had a good tournament and then you've had a bad one or a bad round mm-hmm. would you normally look back at maybe like the highlights and you go oh yeah with your coach and I can see that I'm doing this or I'm doing that or is it just you are doing everything right, like you always should. It is just maybe confidence yeah. or just a bad day at the office. Yeah, I guess it's maybe a little bit fortunate situation to be in as a player because when you're on tour, I had a coach travel quite a lot with me as well. So you're kind of always having that checkup. Um, I guess so you never kind of went into as many bad habits as probably some amateurs do. But the one thing I used to take from him when I, I didn't have my coach on the road and I did have a bad score. I used to always just say, like, you don't become a bad player overnight. Mm-hmm. Like, you might be 65 Thursday, 75 Friday, but it doesn't mean, like, all of a sudden you're swinging it like an octopus. You know, like, <laughs> you probably hit a couple of bad shots and you've made two, three bogeys or something. It's, it's as simple as that, isn't it? And I think it's just having yeah. that reassurance that um, your swing is in a good place and it is such fine margins, isn't it, like with golf? Like, it doesn't take much to... To, to hit it 10 yards offline sort of thing and, and that could be a double bogey on some holes so, mm. so yeah I think uh, a lot of maintenance um, I guess there is a lot of lot of positive talks with people a lot of coaches um, and keep you on the straight and narrow and like you say not overanalyze things when things feel like they're going a little bit pear-shaped so if you had like a tournament the next weekend for example and, and you maybe were doing something I don't know, not quite right with the swing. Would you would you even try and work on that stuff in between tournaments or would you just kind of try and keep it simple and just do what you normally do and just try to remember what you, you know, you always work on in, in the practice, etc. Yeah, I, like I said, I used to always debrief. So I'd always send an email out to everyone at the end of the week. How's things have gone well? What's gone bad? Uh, what am I going to do next week? Um, my coach would probably sense it. Like if I was crying for a bit of like support and I was like, 
mm. this is not right. I've sent the video to him and then he kind of dissected it and he'd know like even if something was wrong, like what to say in terms of like like he'd brush over it, oh yeah, things look great. Like, you know, just a bit of bandit, like don't he wouldn't try and intervene too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if I was kind of crying for help, really, sort of thing. So um, I think every player is different. You know, I, I was never particularly a technical player. I was very feel. Um, I stand on the range, get 10 good shots, feel quite nice, go play. Whereas some players would be out there all day searching for feeling or having to sort of like grind in a feeling or sort of ingrain it in. Whereas I, I'd be hitting it left on the course and I'd hit five swings and see it go right and be like, yeah, I'm happy with that and go play golf. So I think. Mm-hmm. I was pretty fortunate to be able to play like that. I, I didn't need to sort of, they say, spend hours in the range hitting balls and sort of tie yourself out. I was, it was always one for half a basket and be, and be done really. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I've um, listened to Bubba Watson talk about this, and he says kind of similar to what you said in terms of if he's having a good day and he's hit you know two three good shots, sometimes he'll just walk off the practice range and just go, look, I'm happy with that, and yeah. I want to I want to keep those swing thoughts or or whatever good vibes in my head and sometimes yeah. if he's not quite doing it the way he wants even then after two three shots he'll just leave it and start again the next day kind of thing and because yeah. he just doesn't want to there's no point hitting 150 or 50 balls badly is there you know not not much I point think, in it I don't know, like, it's, it's kind of bad. i don't know what you're kind of searching for sometimes like mm. how many how many perfect shots in a row do you need to hit to say yeah that's good right sure. you hit two or three but you're happy with and yeah, like for me, like got, I've got a feeling there. Like I can go play golf now. So unless you're absolutely yeah, winging it off the planet or something, and like you need some serious, like yeah, some tweaks. Uh huh. You've got to think the high, the level what guys play at. You can't be a million miles away, can you? Like, no. so how how important the head is and like being in a good place. Uh, you sure. walk down the range and watch hundred guys hitting, you probably wouldn't notice much of a difference. But you put a hundred guys on a on a tight tee shot and you'll you'll notice a difference because <laughs> they're, yeah. they're worried about the shot. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think there's, probably, there's no substitute for playing golf, I don't think. No. And, um, yeah, so as I mentioned at the start, obviously you played on the European Tour as well. I think you played last, it was back in 2019 now. So, uh, again, tell us a little bit about that, your experience with the European Tour, maybe some of the differences, again, between that and, and the kind of tours that you had to play on to become pro, etc. Yeah, great. Yeah, I think, yeah, I did. I think 94 appearances on the tour, which shame not to get to 100, but um, <laughs> who knows, there may be still time. But, but I think, yeah, the biggest the biggest difference, I have this question a lot, the biggest difference for me, certainly course setups, is, is different. Um, I think you go from playing sort of challenge tour and Europe venues, what are maybe more uh, corporate golf courses or resort courses, what, what aren't set up for a tournament. Well, mm-hmm. they are, but they're not. They've not been. They've not had a year's preparation for the tournament the next year. Where, you know, I mean, the the, the, the setup that goes into a main tour event is a different level, and like the the rough, particularly, like the reward for hitting fairways is a lot bigger, and the rough around the greens is a lot thicker. So mm-hmm. that was my different. I played four years in Challenge Tour and, and really got by. Didn't particularly do anything great, but I didn't change. I didn't become a different golfer from getting losing from getting my mentor card mm-hmm. in the end of twenty fifteen and then going straight on to tour and making ninety percent of cuts that year. I just think I got a reward for being a pretty good driver of the ball. So I'm challenged to 
there wasn't really that reward there for driving it straight because the rough wasn't that penal. But on the main, so you had to drive it pretty straight. So I think I got a reward for driving it well. I hit a lot of greens and always that put was pretty average. But on main, so you could kind of get away with that and finish 30th quite a bit. So it kind of, I kind of got a reward for being a decent driver of the ball. Yeah. I mean, either at the start when you started on the, the tour then or, or maybe even, say, if it's after 10 events, did you make any changes at any point to try and become a better player for the European Tour or did, did you just want to stick to what you knew? Not really. I think I said I had a team around me and we just, the, the process was there, like, just, just kept working hard and, and after a few decent results, like, you see, you started to kind of feel comfortable being out there. I remember maybe 10 events in, in Austria and it was a re-rank that week in my category so if I did well I would have re-ranked from the bottom of that category like two-thirds of the way up so it was a big it got me quite a few more starts doing that mm-hmm. and I remember last round I played David Howell and Richard Bland and yeah, I knew they were good players they'd been out there for a long long time um, and that last round I shot five under and them guys both shot level par or worse and I remember getting some positive feedback from them both I remember feeling like I played with two um, established players and kind of gave me the respect that, you know what, I'm, I'm out there and I'm doing all right sort of thing. And that was a, was a big turning point for me that day. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I want to just touch on before we let you go, um, you're also the co-founder of the 2020 Pro Tour. Um, so do you want to give us a little bit more information about that for anybody that, that doesn't know what that is? And, and yeah, just give us a, give us a little bit of uh, information about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So obviously my playing career had to slow down back end of 2019. Obviously COVID then hit us. Um, a friend of mine um, who was a co-founder as well, Adam Walker, who we who carried from quite a, quite a lot. Um, we just had this sort of ambition to set up this tour, which we had in the back of our minds for quite a long time. And so we set up the first sort of um, mixed gender sort of tour with a um, policy that allowed them to play together for, for a full season. And into its second year now and, and, it, and it's, it's gone really well so it's north north of England predominantly um, mainly Yorkshire uh, with 20, 20 events a year and um, yeah it's been great it's, um, some fantastic players playing on it to, to keep sharp and keep a card in the hand and, and to win a few few quid as they go along but then it's been great to see a lot of young players develop and go mm-hmm. through the sort of years I did see them win see them like compete in tournaments with, with better players and yeah it's been it's been rewarding for that side of it for me as well and it's, it's been great to provide more playing opportunities for the ladies and men in the game Awesome and how's the system all set up then are they just playing the rounds together but it's only men competing against men and, and it, like is it two separate kind of leagues if you it, like it, it wasn't for the first 18 months it was actually combined so they played for the same prize money okay. the ladies Ladies just played a 15% shorter course, but we actually have split it now. Um, with various reasons behind that and, and research for doing that. But, but yeah, but it's, um, we've got 10 more events this year and, and we'll, I think we'll, we'll restructure a few things next year again. But no, it's been, uh, it's been, a, good, been a good 18 months. Awesome. And then you're doing a bit of coaching still at the same time, right? I know you've got some stuff that you put out on Instagram, etc. You, you still did a bit of coaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do three days a week, um, mixed coaching of, of any ability and um, quite a bit of performance coaching in there as well. And again, I, I love it. It's, it's a fantastic chance to share my experiences and knowledge and pass on some sort of golden nuggets for, for players and 
I coach beginners, but then I, I do love as well. Hand, like I've got a few elite players who we have these sort of conversations. You know, a lesson might be more chatting than hitting balls sometimes, and, and just uh-huh. kind of mentoring mentoring a few young lads along the way, and uh, a few lady pros as well. And yeah, it's yeah, it's good. Got a lot of got a good things going on. Awesome, man. So anybody that wants to check out the 2020 Pro Tour, they can get it at 2020pro.tour on Instagram. Uh, and then it's 2020 Pro Tour on Twitter, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, then, cool. and then for anybody that wants to check you out, you've got chrishansengolf.com and then Hanson Pro Golf on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, right. So yeah, listen, Chris, thanks for taking the time out to speak to me today. I really appreciate your time. and, and yeah, uh, Good, mate. Nice to meet you. Good luck for the future. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, Cheers guys. Thanks, mate. Thanks.